this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I am Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today we have some some sad news to announce. This is the first of our last three episodes, and the reason the show is ending is for good news, is Adam is moving on to bigger and better, and we're so thrilled for him, but no one wanted a podcast of me just talking to myself for an hour. Just No, I made a stipulation that if I left Collider, the Collider podcast could not continue. Yes, or not allow be, it. There would be legal action. There would be How legal action. I? I would sue one of the founding members of this dumb podcast. <laughs> so three episodes left. And as promised, as promised for quite a while, the, there will be a, a James Bond podcast. It will be in two parts. So today is the first of the two parts where we talk about Connery, Lazenby, Moore, and Dalton. We are talking about the Cold War era Bond movies. And that will be part one. Part two will be the Brosnan and Craig Bonds uh, up through, uh, I guess, uh, Spectre. We not no, no Time to Die doesn't come out till October. We wanted to record these now. We haven't seen No Time to Die. So that is just, it's not included. And then the final episode will be a farewell episode. Um, so we're sad to sort of say goodbye but we're going to leave this thing on a high note. We are so grateful for everyone who's taken the time to listen. We've been doing this podcast since 2012. We started, our first episode was The Hunger Games. So, so long ago. I, I don't even know I if think, you could even find those. Episodes. You can't find that shit. Because this thing is like had to like live and die on so many different servers. Um, throughout and we will have history. more, like I will talk more about, our final episode will be kind of a look back and I'll talk more about like where I'm going and what's happening. Um, but I am, I am leaving Collider on my own volition on, on September 17th. Um, I am moving elsewhere. I will let you guys know, but I didn't want this to be like, oh, the podcast got canceled or, oh. Yeah, no. And I also want to take this moment to point out another reason that we're sort of ending the podcast is there's a, there was a guy behind the scenes who you didn't see. His name is Thad Williams, uh, who also recently left Collider. Um, and we could not have done the show without him. And we are barely doing it now without him, <laughs> yes. like just barely. Thad was a superhero. Uh, I know he's going to go succeed wildly wherever he goes. Um, uh, I just wanted to say thanks to him uh, for all that he did for this show. He he elevated it. I mean, before he came on, it was me stitching shit together on GarageBand, which you will now get again <laughs> now in these final three episodes. We're like, huh, how the quality really dropped off in those final three. I'm like, that's why. So <laughs> again, another reason this is ending. It's, it would literally just be me talking into a microphone <laughs> by myself like a crazy person. So, anything you yeah anything you watched or listened to on collider over the last few years dad did and would not be possible without thad and we super miss Thad, and we are probably fucking this up right now without thad yes. it is possible what we're recording right now will not actually record because we messed it up 
Uh, so here's hoping. We yeah, this is this is two idiots who've just suddenly been given controls to the to the to been handed the wheel and been like, go for it. <laughs> it's it's Zoolander, it's uh, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson with the computer. Yeah, we're trying. The files are in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that's gonna go. But anyway, oh, we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We've got to talk about James Bond because so flashback, if you will, to the beginning of 2020. And at the time, No Time to Die was slated to open in April of 2020. And Adam was like, oh, this and I were like, oh, this is great. We'll find this is an opportunity to finally watch all of the James Bond movies and we can write about them and we'll do like a big, big podcast episode on them. And then the movie kept moving because of COVID. And now MGM and and I guess it's Universal that's distributing it. Is it? I think so. Yeah, I think it's Universal. That's like no, this is coming out in October. I don't care what <laughs> happens. It's coming out. I don't care if a guy named James Bond nukes half of the world, <laughs> <laughs> and that would make it awkward for the surviving half to watch a movie starring a guy named James Bond. This movie is coming out. So. This is, uh, we're just going to do this chronologically. We're going to just go through the Bond film, starting with Dr. No. Also, full and- disclosure, this is a year and a half in the making. In March of 20, was it 2020? Yes, 2020. The lot, Not the lot, yeah, the last year. I was feverishly, February and March, trying to watch all of the Bond movies. Yes. Because No Time to Die was coming out at the end of March. I had not seen a bunch of the older ones. I was watching like two or three Bond movies a day it was kind of miserable. <laughs> and then as soon as I got to the first Dalton, uh, they pushed uh, No Time to Die. So Matt and I, I was like, okay, I'll take a break and you know, we'll record when it comes. So Adam out. and Adam took a break. I forged ahead because I was borrowing, like I, my friend, my friend Brad uh, was kind enough to lend me. He had the big James Bond 50th anniversary Blu-ray box set. So he had all the movies up through Skyfall. So the only one I had to rent was Spectre. Um, and so I was just like, but I kind of wanted to get him his, his setback to him because it was on loan. And so I kept forging ahead with, with, with Bond movies. Um, so my memory might be a little fuzzy, <laughs> like is, is basically all I'm saying. Like I, if you ask me like without checking my letterbox notes, like what's the difference between the spy who loved me and for your eyes only, like, I can't tell you, <laughs> cannot, can't tell you what, 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 like one I'm looking like right now and one came out in 81 and another one came out in uh, 77. So <laughs> like, this is going to be great is what we're saying. It's going to be just maintaining really the, same <laughs> the same level of quality, the same level of quality you've come expected. to expect. On the There's two jokers that they handed micro. Basically, we're here to remind you, as always, that anyone can make a podcast. <laughs> yes. All right, Doctor No, uh, 1962, first Bond film. Um, you know, and it's I, I, looking at my notes on Doctor No, is that it's sort of it's a lot slower than we've expected like a Bond movie to be. Yeah. Like a lot of them, a lot of those early ones are, are like, well, I wouldn't say a lot of one because I think um, From Russia With Love is one that people really dig. And I think it is one of the better Bond movies. But the thing that kind of jumps out at me is that, I mean, for starters, you have to go back to when people like, well, this, this isn't Bond or this isn't Bond or this isn't Bond. Like people have to remember, like people at the time thought Sean Connery was not Bond. Yeah. 
they were like, oh, he's Scottish. He can't be Bond. Or like, he's not really the guy from the books. They can't be Bond. And so already in its very first adaptation, Bond was different than what people expected. So this notion that Bond has to be X, Y, and Z, I think is a little uh, ahistorical. Yeah. And this was my first time. I think it was my first time seeing Dr. No. Um, or maybe I'd seen it before. I don't know been so long um and it is slow it's it's strange you know it starts off very uh like you're used to these big action openings and and from my recollection don't quote me on this because again it's been a year and a half since i watched this movie um it's just kind of like a slowish scene on a beach um is kind of how it begins but you know it's it's very yeah it sort of just walks you into it it also has one of the hallmarks of of the Bond franchise in that it is deeply problematic. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, like there's yellow face, there's right, yellow from, face. Like, right in the first movie. It's also, like a lot of Bond films, exceedingly horny. Mm-hmm. Um, like at one point, like they have to, like he and it's Honey Ryder is the first yeah. Bond girl, um, have to be decontaminated, which means they have to get naked and shower mm. together. And that's yeah. in the very first movie. Um, so like, it's just that it's weird to sort of see like, in some ways, like Dr. No very quickly knew what like a Bond movie was. And then in other ways, it's sort of still getting there. Yeah. But it's not so, I wouldn't say it's so drastically different that you're like, well, this is unrecognizable as James Bond in the way that like, I think that, even like in terms of the way it's approached, I think Born Supremacy is is much a far different film than Born Identity. Yeah, um, yeah. just like what Paul Greengrass bought, brought to it. Yeah. So as a foundational film, I think Doctor No is solid, and and it's also these early films. You see, these early films actually feel more like Bond than the middle ones do. I think because oh, the absolutely, Craig, the Craig era has borrowed pretty heavily from these. Um, in terms of influence and trying to kind of get back to Bond's roots. Casino Royale in particular, I think feel like pacing wise feels a little bit more like Dr. No, because it slows things down quite a bit. Well, and also the thing you have to remember and the thing we'll get into as, as we go on is that from its outset, Bond was at least had the freedom to be, to be James Bond. Like there were books that they could adapt. Yeah. They had certain like things they wanted to hit and it kind of works and it, you know, it, it works within reasonably well i i would say again those connery bond films are of varying quality and they each have their own issues but i would also say that as the series continues there's a lot and it continues to this day a lot of trend chasing yeah um the the unique thing about the bond franchise and i would highly recommend uh if you haven't seen it the documentary everything or nothing Mm -hmm. which is sort of follows the the development of the bond series over time is that the Bond series belongs to one family, uh, the Broccoli family, essentially. Um, I forget who was his co-producer on the earlier films. Uh, wasn't it Michael G. Wilson's father or something like that? Yeah, anyway, it's a family affair. Like, yeah. it was two guys and now their kids have it. Oh, <laughs> no, that's... it was Harry, Harry Saltzman. Harry Saltzman, okay. Yeah. So, And then Michael G. Wilson took over later. Yeah. But anyway, so it was Albert Broccoli and Saltzman. And then... Salzman left or passed away. I'm not sure which. Um, and then uh, Broccoli passed away and passed it on to his daughter, Barbara Broccoli. And now her and Michael G. Wilson oversee Bond. And this is all through 
Eon Productions, Eon standing for everything or nothing. Yeah. And that's very strange. <laughs> that is, <laughs> imagine if Marvel went through like, like, like if Kevin Feige personally owned Marvel. <laughs> Like imagine that, like he, and he only answered to himself. Yeah. <laughs> that was just how the movies were made. And that's Bond. Like Bond is this massive, iconic world. Like every, like part of the reason they keep making Bond movies is that they do incredibly well international. Like yeah. domestically they do solid. Like they don't, they're not flops, but internationally they are huge and like you can like branding wise you can like have james bond like open a heineken and drive this car and wear this watch and like he is he is a money maker i mean it's going to be very weird in the next bond film when he's like alexa do this (laughs) and like there's an alexa inside the aston martin but that's 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 another conversation but he's just he is this global icon everyone knows you know bond james bond everyone knows that but it just belongs to these two people who kind of do what they want but what they want is to make sure that bond is always relevant and profitable because that's their that's their nut that's that's what they do is bond that's their only franchise they tried to do another movie um a couple years ago called the rhythm section uh which no one saw yeah (laughs) is all i can say about that and then they at one point they tried to spin off jinx from die another day into her own franchise and there were no takers um so yeah i think like mgm said no or something like that Barbara broccoli no. really wanted to do it but mm-hmm. who who the studio who owned the rights to like distribute it was, i believe it was mgm at the time yeah 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 um so anyway that's just all preface to sort of be like you know bond is from its inception and there and also this series will not cover there are there are what i would say two unofficial bond movies (laughs) that are not covered in this series one is never say never again which is essentially a remake of thunderball but it brought connery back but it's not really an official Bond. i don't consider it an official bond film no Uh, it's not it wasn't made with eon it was part of this whole rights kerfuffle uh i don't consider that it counts and the other one is casino royale the one with Woody Allen that's kind of like a comedy like it doesn't count <laughs> so those two will not be discussed in this two-part uh podcast series on Bond um well with that let's let's move on I want to talk about From Russia with Love which yeah. is the next one and From Russia with Love is well I want to get what are your thoughts on From Russia with Love I mean I this is my first time seeing it I knew its reputation so I had really high hopes for it it took me a little bit to get into it but it does feel like a more mature more um kind of like globe trotting I mean it's obviously bigger in scale Dr. No really primarily just takes place in the Bahamas um so this one you know I don't know I I liked the greater scale of it I liked the complexity of the characters a little bit more um if I recall correctly um with uh the the main bond girl i'm blanking on her name at this point um but i don't know i i i dig from russia from russia with love i i think it's good but i think it still has some of the plotting issues of dr no yeah um like so anytime he's fighting grant is great because grant's like specter's version of bond mm-hmm. he's just like bond with another and so it's like bond versus bond and i think that's really cool and like the train fight is awesome um 
But then also it's like now to go to this gypsy camp and these gypsies yeah, will fight yeah, for your yeah. sexual amusement. I by the way, about that. <laughs> by the way, to me, I find Bond very unsexy because he doesn't have to do anything. He never yeah. has to charm anyone. He literally shows up and women just want him, yeah. <laughs> which to me is not charm. That's just what the plot is telling you to happen. And that sort of ties into the fact that like, you have to remember these are 1960s movies made basically for 1960s dudes. Like imagine Don Draper and that is sort of the target audience for a Bond film yeah. or like a, not even Don Draper because Don Draper can get it, but like a Pete Campbell, <laughs> like someone who can't get it, but like wants to get it. And like, this is male wish fulfillment of the highest order. That's what James Bond is in the 1960s and to yeah. a lesser extent in following decades, but especially in the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's it's very off-putting. I yeah, it's I mean, you just kind of have to accept it for what it is. Um, but at the same time, like, and that's not to sort of be like, and that's not to sort of say, like, well, these films are, you know, yes, they are retrograde, but also like I'm not gonna be like James Bond is canceled now. <laughs> no, like, no, no. It was the 1960s, man. We yeah. made progress. It's good that we made progress, but we're not gonna like pretend that Bond never happened. Um, no, my, we have my to engage view of these, with the history. My view of these films is not through the lens of like, is it woke enough now? <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Which the answer would always come back a resounding no. <laughs> it would always be no. Even going back to, I don't know, we'll get to it. So we'll we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then so in and then the next Bond film in 1964, you get Goldfinger, which I do think is top tier Bond. Yeah, this is my second favorite Bond movie. Yeah, I think it still has, again, a little bit of the pacing problems. And they're like, sometimes it feels like the story is just making it up as they go. Like, I want the gold, but also for like, like I want his plan is is delightfully convoluted. Goldfinger's plan is. He wants to not steal the gold in Fort Knox, but devalue it so that it raises <laughs> the currency value of all other gold. Yeah. And so like, it, uh, it's so weird. Um, this movie was also just like a global super smash. So oh, yeah. Dr. No and from Russia with love, Dr. No made around 448 million adjusted for inflation for 2005 numbers. Uh, from Russia with love made 543 Goldfinger made 820. So it was just a worldwide phenomenon. And I think Goldfinger is where you get to kind of the modern, it's kind of like the ultimate Bond movie. It has the crazy action set pieces. It has the memorable Bond girls. It has a little bit more complexity to the characters. It has the henchman or villain with a recognizable physical feature, which is odd job. Um, it, you know, has a really stunning third act uh, with the Fort Knox stuff. Um, and it's, you know, the villain is, is kind of interesting. I think Goldfinger is, is, is kind of fascinating in this film. So I don't know. It, it's just like, it's tons of fun. It doesn't have a, you know, um, it's not as meaty thematically as maybe some of the later Bond, Bond films, but I just think it's, it's true, really a spectacular blockbuster. It is good. But again, there are moments that like, like again, and I'm not trying to be like, how woke is James Bond? But like the fact that he basically has sex with, pussy galore <laughs> with a lot of a lot of vagina yeah. <laughs> and like that gives her a conscience <laughs> like is just yeah. very off-putting yeah um 
but you're like, but then there are elements like Odd Job. What an amazing character! His hat <laughs> is lethal. He yeah. has a lethal hat. Yeah. What what a, what a delight. Yeah. What a strange strange thing. But sure. Yeah. Go on. Also, in, in the in the video game Goldeneye, it was unfair to play as him because he was so short <laughs> and you couldn't hit him. <laughs> and you could crouch as him, and you could be even smaller. Yeah. No. Just that's karate chop. Yeah. Maybe maybe we need to squeeze in a third episode where we just talk about the GoldenEye video just game. Talk about the GoldenEye game, which was incredible. It was yes. the best game ever made. Um, but yeah, I think Goldfinger, like here's the so here's the thing. Like, so you're you're doing your bond rewatch, right? And you're like, all right, Dr. No is okay. And then like from Russia with love, like, ah, oh, this is a little better. All right, all right. And then like Goldfinger's like, oh, this is this is better than from Russia with love. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. And then you get to 1965's Thunderball <laughs> and you want to die. I hate Thunderball. Thunderball is so such much. fucking garbage. <laughs> oh my God, I hate Thunderball. It's so boring. It's such a slog. It's like, hey guys, we understood we 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 discovered underwater photography. Yeah. Let's do that for what feels like 20 hours. And like there are people the who really like it, but I just, I don't get it. I, I, it felt interminable to me. It, it was just like swimming underwater the whole time. <laughs> I like, mean, there's a 30 minutes of swimming underwater. Here's the thing. On the one hand, it's kind of like daring that the, that the climax of the film is completely without dialogue because they're underwater so they can't talk they can't communicate or do anything but on the other hand it's like ah he has a knife and then like he slowly tries to stab (laughs) someone (laughs) while being underwater yeah oh my god yeah i just it sucks it's not good it's not good and and when it's not good like like thunderball is not good it reveal it really highlights all of the other weaknesses like there's nothing you can really hang your hat on so like all of its other weaknesses like the sexism and the the misogyny and the you know the empty wish fulfillment like just really starts beating you over the head and the emptiness of bond to be frank like as a character he's not super duper interesting as you said so when the plot is not really interesting it just it just gets really boring and thunderball is actually the most successful bond movie of all time uh, adjusted for adjusted inflation. for inflation. Yeah, that's surprising. For some reason, I thought Skyfall was the most successful. No, so Skyfall adjusted for inflation is about two hundred fifty. Or wait, no, um, is nine hundred forty-three million. Oh yeah, no. So I guess Sky. Well, um, so Thunderball adjusted for inflation at eight hundred forty-eight million. Um, for some reason, I thought Skyfall made like over a billion worldwide. It did worldwide. I think in North America. Is what uh, I'm is going what off counting. the always accurate Wikipedia, which says uh, Thunderball is ah, most successful right. in North America. But at any rate, it is, if not the most successful, it is like the second most successful. It's it's up there for yeah. a film that is is quite poor, and especially for the '60s when the franchise is when it's in its infancy and was releasing a new movie each year. Mm-hmm. Thunderball was like the height of popularity, right? Um, so then in 1967, you get, you only live twice, which I'm very conflicted about. I'm so conflicted about you only live twice because. Because it's written by Roald Dahl. No, yes. (laughs) Jew hater Roald Dahl. Um, this like it's the plotting isn't bad. It it has a volcano layer, which is fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and yet, like by this point, like I'm sort of like, is this the essential bond? Because like, like we we're saying, he's not that interesting. And they didn't have to make him that interesting because he's just like a wish fulfillment vehicle. And yeah. then like 
So once you get past the fact that there is no Bond character, like he doesn't want anything, he, not, he isn't burdened by anything, like they don't, you know, and say what you will about superhero cinema, like these characters at least have like arcs, like, like I don't go, like Iron Man starts out like, and he like has an arc, like, yeah, he's a rich, wealthy dude, like, but he also feels guilt and he is put through an emotional ringer and has to grow as an individual. And Bond just doesn't have to do that shit. Bond comes out of the box, ready to go, happy to do the things. And then he goes about it. Like he never questions anything. Like, <laughs> I don't even think he questions when it was like, Bond, for this mission, we're going to valamorphize you, <laughs> which is <to laughs> for those who caught the Team America reference. <laughs> Make you look like a different race, <laughs> which is just so offensive. Yeah. Better when it happens to puppets. Yeah. <laughs> Funnier when it happens to puppets. Less funny when it happens to a human man. Um. Yeah, yeah, and I, this one, this one saw a decline in box office because at the time, so now Bond was super popular, so you had a saturation of the market with like spy movies, um, mm-hmm. and this was Connery's last go around as last official go around. And then, well, he comes back to the franchise after. Um, that, that's what he, com- he comes back for. Oh, that's right, he does come back for the, to the franchise. Oh my god, some of these are so forgettable. <laughs> yes. Jeez, yes, no, I forgot the first time he came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. But yeah, you well, only live twice is is inessential and uh, just fine. It's kind of just coasting. It's they're you know they're clearly in the process of like we want to get we don't want we want to crank these out and get them out. So, mm-hmm. um, and then you get to a film that I think has aged very well. Mm-hmm. Um, was not well received at the time, but has aged very well, which is the only George Lazenby Bond on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, so. Basically, um, Lazenby was brought in to replace Bond, which was a surprising sort of hire because he was basically just a model. <laughs> like he was, this was like, I think his first screen credit. <laughs> and yeah. They're like, hey, do you want to be James Bond? Uh, on the one hand, which brought no, he brought no baggage to the role. Um but he, I don't know. I feel like this is the first Bond that gives him like emotional weight and yeah. tries to treat him like a person. And Lazenby's good at that. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a little cheeky, you know. Like, oh, the other guy never had to deal with this. Like, it, it, it it's, it's now Bond is, is self aware enough to have, I would say, confidence that it didn't have before. Like in previous Bond movies, like everything is just kind of given to him. Um, whereas in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, like he's still like women still obviously want him but like his relationship with like diana rig is like has weight diana rig is great he's so good um and yeah there are like it, there are various points where it drags it's the first it's the first film of many of what feels like many where it's like let's have a ski chase yeah <laughs> gotta have a ski chase mm-hmm. um i think every bond since then except dalton has had a ski chase and maybe connery but like Moore has a ski chase. Um, Brosnan had a ski chase. Craig has one, yeah. Craig has one, Inspector, just skiing. But it's just, I, I don't know. I like, and I think On Her Majesty's Secret Service has a really good ending. It's yeah. super dark. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Bond movies. I think it it is one of the best. It's only rivaled by Casino Royale in terms of relationships um, mm-hmm. and Bond's relationship to the women in the film. Uh, I like Lazenby's Lazenby's Bond. I think he's a more sensitive Bond, a more interesting Bond. 
mm-hmm. um, in that documentary that you mentioned, I, I think is a must watch everything or nothing. Cause he talks about essentially being talked out of um, or talked into quitting the bond franchise and how uh, he kind of lived to regret it. But I think this movie is incredible. It, it, it's, it's so interesting and the pacing is more complicated and the story I think is more complicated. It's more intimate. I feel um, cause most of it just takes place in this compound up in the mountains. So I don't know. I, I really like this one, even if it's the inspiration for the fembots and Austin powers too. So <laughs> forgot. that's the thing we should, we, I mean, we should probably note like how, how much, like, the Austin Powers movies make a lot more sense if you've seen a lot of Bond. Yeah, and I haven't gone back to rewatch them since watching all the old Bond movies that I had never seen, and I'm really excited to do it. Um, yeah, and I hope like that they, I remember. There is stuff that's just literally just lifted. Like, it's not even like, oh, this is a parody. It's like, no, this is just what is in a Bond movie. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, if you haven't, if you haven't seen it, it is, is tremendous, and I highly recommend watching that one. Yes. It's a must-watch. So. yes. Um, and then Lazenby leaves. If you want more on Lazenby, there's a good documentary uh, called uh, Becoming Bond, which is on Hulu, Yeah, uh, which delves into sort of his story narrated by him, by Lazenby, who seems to be a, a pretty good sport about all of it. <laughs> uh, and you've got, oh gosh, the guy who played Kano in Mortal Kombat <laughs> plays the young Lazenby and he's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Kench Allenby. Ken Challenby guy. Ken Challenby. Okay, so then they bring Connery back for Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, because on Her Majesty's Secret Service tanked at the box office, just did terribly because Connery was gone. And so they flailed and were nervous. Yeah. Um, And so they just begged him to come back. And he, so he, part of why Connery left was he was feuding with, I think it was broccoli with cubby i think they did not get along and um some stuff was happening there that's in that documentary if you want to watch it but diamonds are forever is not very good and bond is so old in it so he's so he's way too old (laughs) he's way too old and this isn't even never say never again in which he's definitely too old to play the role and it only i mean it came out in 71 so it's not even a full decade after his first bond movie but it just feels it just feels old in this he, well i mean i mean think about all the cultural upheaval and shifting that had happened between 62 and 71 yeah he just doesn't feel like like the like a like what bond i don't know he feels like a relic it's like this is your dad's james this is literally your dad's james bond yeah um and in a culture that doesn't really know what to do with him anymore and so there are elements that are still like, I actually think the Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid are really good henchmen. Jimmy um, Dean. I Jimmy love Dean. Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean, the sausage man. Yes. And like, <laughs> you can sort of feel it leaning into the silliness more, which I think is probably a smart move. Yeah. But then they're just, I don't know. Then there's like, I don't know. Everything about it starts to feel strange. Yeah. Like the Vegas does, stuff it, is kind of interesting and the the plotting with the villain is a little bit more interesting but it just feels forced that like oh yeah we got Connery back like, do you love us now right we did the thing that you wanted to do which is yeah. like well no what I'd like you to do is tell stronger stories and they're like yeah. right so thing that is popular <laughs> I'm here what if I'm hearing you correctly it's always to do thing that is popular 
Yeah. And that is sort of the guiding ethos for James Bond going forward. Mm -hmm. Do the thing that is popular. Will it work? Doesn't matter. As long as Bond hits certain signposts, you know, villain, car, love interest, gadgets, you're pretty good. You know, like that's that's what a Bond movie, like you have to take those elements and you have to fit them into a certain box. Yeah. And so, you know, I Diamonds Are Forever is pretty forgettable. Uh, and then we move into the- Live and let die. The Ro- we move into the Roger Moore. Okay. This is the one with the voodoo. This is the one with the voodoo. This is where <laughs> like, ah, black exploitation films are taking off. Let's make a black Bond slash black exploitation film. I know that the like Roger Moore like has his defenders. Like our friend Chris Bumbray loves Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. Like unironically yeah. loves Roger Moore. Loves those Bond movies. And look, if you love Roger Moore, more power to you. I think Roger Moore is a bad Bond. I think he's I think so too. I think his movies are uninteresting. And I think as a character, he doesn't have a take on Bond. Like, I think his Bond is is completely milquetoast. And he, I, I don't know what, like, say what you will about other Bonds, but I think that other Bonds at least have, like, give them an edge or some sort of personality. Like, even someone, Lazenby only had it for one movie, but, like, he left a mark on Bond. Uh Dalton only had it for two movies. I think he leaves a mark on the character. Moore has it for like six or seven films. Like he, he, he was a long running Bond. And I think on the one hand, like you could say that he's been ill-served because every Bond he's in is trying to chase some, some other trend. But by the same token, I don't think he does anything particularly remarkable with the role. I don't think his Bond is interesting. I don't think his Bond is challenged. Um. I mean, his Bond acknowledges that his wife is dead, uh, as future Bond installments will, but that, again, doesn't seem to really phase him or change him or do anything other than, and again, I don't remember which one this is, he throws Blofeld down an industrial chute, (laughs) like down a a smokestack. Like he just picks up a guy who is very clearly Blofeld, but for legal purposes cannot be named Blofeld and like drops him down a smokestack. Yeah, I mean, there's a more comedic bent to Roger Moore, kind of like a winking um, aspect to his performance on Bond, which I guess is fine, but I don't think it really works because the franchise still wants to take Bond seriously. Yeah, um, it's sort of caught in this sort of thing like, hey, kids, we're all in on the joke, right? We're We're hip, we're with it. And then, but also like Bond is our moneymaker. And if you disrespect him, I will cut you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I agree. I mean, I I do appreciate he has a bit more of a sensitive take on Bond in terms of how he treats women a little bit. I mean, more Um, sensitive than Connery, which is a very low bar to clear. Yeah. But I don't know. Moore's movies were, were a slog for me um, largely Uh, and, and live and let die. The voodoo stuff is just really silly. You start getting into like the occult and uh, like supernatural. It just doesn't really. Once you get into that third act, when people are being like controlled by voodoo, right? Kind of like okay. And there's like a special bullet that makes people like blow up and explode. (laughs) Yes, yeah. It's not. It's not wonderful. Um, And his movies just get kind of increasingly silly from there. Yes. So I just, 
that being said, I will say his follow-up is my favorite of, of the, like, if I had to pick like one more film, it'd be mm-hmm. the man with the golden gun. Yeah. It's, I think yeah, it's fun. It's silly, but it's, it's fun. silly, but it actually has like, like, I think it has a good core construction where it's like, there's an assassin and he's out to get bond. Yeah. And the assassin also like wants, has like his own goals, whatever. And you can take it or leave it. But mm-hmm. it's like bond facing off against an assassin. Yeah. But then also the assassin has three nipples <laughs> yes, for whatever reason, for whatever reason. And he has like a little side, he has tattoo from, uh, uh, fantasy Island who, uh, have her, I forget his name. Her. I yeah. Him. I can't yeah. remember his last name. I can't remember his last name, but like, you know, he, it has all these weird, like, and then like on his Island, he has his, um, sort of like, training facility to kill bond <laughs> yeah like and it's like a whole like mirror fun house like this is this is i built all this so let's I can call it what track. it is it's it's a laser tag arena <laughs> <laughs> which is just where the third act of man with the golden gun takes place he, did, he made a laser he laser, a laser tag, tag arena, arena in you know, 1974 to kill, to kill james bond yeah <laughs> so it's very yeah, silly it's very silly um God so yeah but it's silly but at least it's fun i have yeah. fun with the man with the golden gun even though i think it's like a lot of bond movies too long yeah a lot of bond movies would be better served by being like a solid 20 to 30 minutes shorter i yeah. just but they are like we got to go to these locations and he's got to do this and he got to have like it's so set piece heavy that you like have to do these different kind of things and now no time to die is two hours and 46 minutes so oh my are you serious yeah <laughs> that's too much <laughs> that seems like there's a lot of time to die i've got <laughs> i've got a lot of trust in fukunaga and phoebe waller bridge but uh uh-huh. yeah that's a long long movie yeah speaking of long there was a three-year wait between man with the golden gun and the spy who loved me okay so that's the one that comes next <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not sure why uh spy who loved me come out in 77 um yes I am struggling to remember what happens in the Spy Who Loved Me. Um, I'm reading Carl Stromberg review it, and I said it's the definition of adequate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh but it, yes, oh, but it introduces Jaws, and it Jaws... introduces Jaws, and it's the one where the guy wants to build a world under the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> These movies can be very funny at times. Yeah. Like, okay. Now I'm remembering this one. Yeah. This one's Stromberg, a, yeah. It's yeah. fine. You're right. It's, it's fine. Stromberg is like he has. A, I like that he has like an aquatic lair. Like that's fine. Yeah. First off, it's just it is it is good when villains have lairs. That is just <laughs> yes. unambiguously good. But also like Jaws is for me the best Bond villain because he's just so much fun. It's just like, he's got, he's got those metal teeth and he's sort of like this kind of Terminator figure. Like he just keeps coming at you. Um, He's the best. And then like, they bring him back for Moonraker, which we'll get into, but (laughs) like Jaws is, is fully awesome. And like, I think he is easily one of the best things in this movie. Yeah. Jaws is tons of fun. I like the boat that is like a mansion that (laughs) that also just envelopes things, uh, which comes back and the world is not enough, I think can't remember um yeah spy who loved me the definition of adequate you're correct yes okay then we get to moonraker (laughs) less than adequate okay some people are like moonraker is the worst bond i don't think it's the worst bond i think it's definitely in the lower tier the lowest tier of bond 
but I don't think it's the worst bond. We'll get to what I think is the worst bond in a bit. Mm. Um, this is basically like Star Wars comes out in 1977 and the producers are like, make it like a Star Wars. Yeah. It's like this man, this is a human man. <laughs> this is just a regular dude. It's like, no, he got to go to space. <laughs> He's got to go to space now because kids are into space and uh, just send him up there. And that's how you get Moonraker. And it's just, it's, also, it was a hit. It was a huge hit. It, it made a, a ton of money. <laughs> it was a huge hit. That's the thing. Like we're like Thunderball sucks. Huge hit. Moonraker sucks. Huge hit. Also, but it's like it's weird because like like Thunderball, the pacing is just glacial. Yeah, it's really freaking slow. And also, like it's this weird hodgepodge of ideas. And then there are times where it's like we're gonna make jokes. Like there's this pigeon who's gonna be like do it. Who's gonna do a double take at one point. <laughs> like bond speeding down the street check out this pigeon <laughs> like what are you doing what what is this movie what is any of this well and, and I, think, I think oh sorry go ahead i was just gonna say i think some people like get on its crazy wavelength um who are just like oh moonraker's amazing because it's so out there and i'm like no it's just irritating yeah it's an irritating film well, and I think it's indicative of like a lot of these Bond films, which is that you look at like the success of like the Marvel franchise and people are showing up because they want to know what happens next. The success of the Bond franchise, especially at the time when you the market was not saturated with blockbusters, was like, I want to go for the action and the women and like a thing that I like. So that's where it comes in where you were talking about like, it's like Star Wars, like Bond in Star Wars, Bond in space. We'll combine these things that you like. So it was just, it was just copying trends that were happening yes. at the time. And people got excited about that. Like it worked. It worked tremendously Absolutely. well. Yeah, so. no, which is to me though, as like in a weird way, like, yes, it totally works because it's like, oh, I like this thing and you mixed it with this other thing. But on the other hand, like constantly sells bond short as a character which i think goes back to like why Moore doesn't leave much of an impression as bond because yeah. like it's everything's just trend chasing it's like oh well now you're gonna go to space okay well now you're in a black exploitation film okay no now you're in this kind of movie. now you're in the circus okay it doesn't matter you know like and it's just, <laughs> we haven't gotten to that one yet mm -hmm. and it's like none of it matter like there's there's there is very much an lol like we don't take this seriously this is like exists to make money and like yeah all of these block, but all blockbusters, not just Bond, exist to make money. But some of them do a better job of hiding it than others. Bond is just kind of out there being like, this is commercial and a cash grab and not particularly well made. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like good writing, I guess, I guess the counter-argument to good writing costs you nothing is that it takes time to develop a script. And if you're spending time developing a script, that's time you're not spending making the movie. So why not just do one draft, call it a day and get, can get rolling. Um, which is what these films feel like by this point. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's just kind of like getting your kicks. So that's I why if people tune into this being like, man, I wonder if Matt and Adam really like Bond films. And now we're just like, this one fucking sucks. This one is merely adequate. It feels like the more I talk to people, they're like, either they haven't seen them all or they're like, yeah, they're not like most of them aren't very good. So like you do have a subject of people like our friend Chris Bunbury who like unabashedly loves the franchise and he could acknowledge its problems, but like just really loves it. And I think if you grew up watching these, these films, there's probably an emotional connection to them. Um, but I did not. So no, it just I, kind I of mean, I watched a few of them growing up, but like 
like like I watched Goldfinger as a, like as a kid, which I yeah. don't know why they let me watch Goldfinger as a kid, but they did. Yeah. Um. But like, yeah, like I did not have like a, an emotional connection to this this stuff. So the the act of in 2020 and 2021 going back and watching all of these in a row is probably akin to like looking at the highest grossing movies of 19 the 80s and the 90s and just like binge watching those and it's just kind of like oh like it's just what's popular. Like at the well, time. and not just binge watching it, but like, but what if they all had the same character? Yeah, the what same if they all, ca- the same all the same character and kind of the same basic plot structure? What if yeah. they were all like that? What if every Roland Emmerich movie starred the same character? And you're just exactly. like, oh, these get what really if, boring. <laughs> right. After a while, you're like, I don't need to see Dr. So-and-so take on, you know, stop the doomsday device because stop it's gonna... the moon from crashing into the earth. Right. Exactly. Moonfall. Like all, what if all... <laughs> <laughs> all movies but same yeah so yeah and so, so that's why this doesn't i get i don't want this to come off as like god these guys really fucking hate it but i think it is a fascinating thing to go back and watch uh-huh. all of these movies having not seen them because you are really seeing like oh they just like for the for the most part they just chase, chase trends and right and which makes it a i think you know in a weird way it makes it a really fascinating historical document like it's hard mm-hmm. to even though Bond is such a long-running franchise, it's almost hard to judge it as a franchise because when we think franchise, we're like, oh, well, what does Superman do in this movie? Or like, what is like, what is, you know, what does Dom Toretto do in this movie? You know, yeah. or, you know, Ethan Hunt, like what is, what is the the main character? Like if, or even like, let's, let's take another spy franchise, Mission Impossible, which has gone through its own transformations. Mm-hmm. But eventually they were like, okay, this is Tom Cruise and he's going to do stunts. And like, we're going to build around that. Like they figured it out. But it's sort of like, what if we handed this to different people and every time we came out with one, it would just be like, whatever, whatever popular in the zeitgeist. Yeah. And that's Bond. Like what is ever, ha- what's ever happening in the zeitgeist, whatever is like happening, like that's the movie we're going to make. Like we don't yeah. really, like we don't have any more books to adapt. You know, Ian Fleming is long dead. We don't have, like, this is just what we do now. And so that gets you to what I think is, is the worst Bond film, which is Octopussy. No, not Octopussy. We're not there yet. Are we at Octopussy yet? No, uh, we are at Octopussy. We just did For Your Eyes Only, right? Yeah. No, we skipped over For Your Eyes Only. We skipped yeah. over that one. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We skipped over. That's yeah. that's how shit. Oh, my God. I don't even care. I don't even care. <laughs> Other than Topol. <laughs> the guy yeah. who played Tevya in in fiddler on the roof is like an action hero in this movie and i have to be honest i have no recollection of ever seeing this movie i saw it and if had i not logged it on letterboxd i would not be able to tell you anything um although there was an endless skiing scene (laughs) so there (laughs) and i was and I, i wrote in my notes halfway through an endless skiing scene you can't help but wonder wasn't this about finding a nuclear missile device (laughs) um so yeah okay now can we move let's move on to octopus yes, which i do think is, is actively terrible because british colonialism is a real thing and maybe you shouldn't like it's really colonialist it's really like hey remember when the empire owned india and wasn't that great and then it's just like it would not surprise me i'm not saying this happened but it would not surprise me if there was a large mountain of cocaine and everyone kept doing <laughs> cocaine and being like, what should be in the movie? And it's like snort, nuclear weapons, snort, jewel thieves, snort, the circus. <laughs> like It's just a lot of ideas. And it's like, 
it's like, why are you even making these at this point? <laughs> like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's boring and it's culturally insensitive. And it's like, it's at this point, it's like, I don't even like, I'm watching this. I'm like, do I even like James Bond? <laughs> like, why, why am I watching this dude other than he's been in a lot of movies, like more movies than other people? Yeah. And again, you hit the 10 year mark and, and more is, is feeling a little old in the role. Um, and he's just... not done yet. No, he is. Octopus oh, is his last Octopus one. Octopus is his last one. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought that he had one more in him. Nope. No. No. Oh, it. thank goodness. Thank this goodness. Because he one. was, yeah, he was. I, I think Moore was a little old even when he came on to the film. Nope. Yeah. He, I think no, so. Adam, I'm right. I'm right. There's one more. He is it the fake one? one? No, it wasn't. It's a view to a kill. Oh, I always think of view to a kill as actually a Dalton one because of no, Dalton. Kill. Yeah, no. A view to a kill was, was his last one. So I was right. A you were right. kill, which at least has um, Christopher Walken <laughs> and microchips and microchips. And is that um, the one with the the fight at the end is like on a blimp or something? Yes. Yeah, it's um, fine. That one's fine. I wrote in my notes the first half of this movie is about horse racing. The second half is about geology. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like it's just like I don't know. Like, look, I think Walken is great. I think Grace Jones is great. Um, but like more is way too old yeah for this film at this point um you know it's i don't know i just i at this point i'm just sort of like yeah whatever yeah Yeah. it's a bond film like it's just it exists and like i was and that being said i um i do like the dalton ones and we'll get into that but is there anything more to say about the more ones because like i'm i'm like again, like we can just speed past for your eyes only, and I'm sure like a diehard Bond fan is like, no, no, and for your eyes only, they do X, Y, and Z. But I, I'm struggling. Like I could not. If you showed me a scene from For Your Eyes Only and said which Bond movie is this from, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you. Yeah, same here. Like that's that's how little I. Re- and again, like part of that is just like I saw this movie like like over a year ago. <laughs> yeah. But like a year, almost a year and a half ago. But still. They, yeah, I don't they, have anything. I don't it's have rough sledding. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's move into the Dalton ones then. Um, the Dalton ones are very much a product of their time by being ver- like by virtue of being in the late 80s when shit was getting more violent in mm-hmm. movies, and they are hard PG-13s. Uh, so the first one is Living Daylights. Yeah, it, they're very violent. <laughs> they're they're just like eighty violent eighties action movies is what it becomes with Dalton. Yeah, and like it's fine. I think Living Daylights is a little too convoluted for my taste, um, from a plot perspective. But like, it's fine. I it's it fine. fine. It's just it's very eighties in its conflict. Yeah. But I think Dalton is a good Bond. I think he is. Yeah. I think he brings like first of all, I liked. I just like Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a soft spot for him. Um. I mean, between like Rocketeer or and Hot Fuzz, and like I think he's just a fun actor, and I think he's having fun with the role yeah. is the other thing. Like I think he he I think he approaches Bond like a character, um, rather than like oh I'm just here you know show up and get a you know be part of the franchise. Yeah, you know, like I think he's still obviously like a team player and like yeah this is still a franchise, but like I think he was kind of eager to leave his mark on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he does that in his two movies, and I think. You know, Living Daylights is dark. Uh, License to Kill is super dark. Yeah. License to Kill, man. Oof. Like, Bond goes rogue. Um, yes. And, like, the first half doesn't even really feel like a Bond film. No, it feels like a revenge movie. I, I like License to Kill. 
Oh, I like it too. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are the typical Bond issues mm-hmm. as the film goes on. Uh, there is another ski chase. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I think... I think License to Kill works better because it's testing Bond the character rather than being like, what if Bond the character went to this kind of genre? You know, so it doesn't feel as much like Bond in Die Hard as much as it's like, well, what if Bond is rogue, goes rogue and goes to a really dark place? Because then at that point, you're testing and challenging the character. And that to me is what makes it interesting rather than like Bond went to Harlem in this movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the, I've, I've black exploitation films, man. All right. Mm-hmm. Those were great. This isn't, you're not going to make James Bond a black exploitation character, but you do you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I like license to kill. Yeah, I do too. I think it's okay. solid. And then the rights got tied up for years for years. And that will bring us to next week's episode Yeah, where I think we'll, I, I, those movies are fresher in my mind. Yep. the brosnan and craig films partially they're in mine too because i watched them very recently <laughs> you watched them very recently but also like those were our bond films yes like for sure like we didn't i didn't see license to kill in theaters i saw i have seen every bond movie in theaters from golden eye forward i have seen them all in theaters i think that i have too i'm pretty sure i have i do have a distinct memory of singing seeing die another day in a the theater so yeah no i've seen them all in theaters since golden eye yeah. Uh, so that'll be fun to talk about. But yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, this podcast is going off, uh, going out as it went in, which is uh, highly off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> just, I remember one of our, our less nonsense. favorable reviews is like, if you just want to listen to two guys who hate everything, listen to this <laughs> podcast. And after the time, I was like, well, that doesn't seem fair. And now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, you weren't far off. <laughs> the theme of the podcast. Two guys who hate everything. All right. Um, so yeah, that's part one of our bond podcast. Um, I'm going to say it, I'm going to next, you know, come back for our next episode where we talk about all the, you know, post cold war movies in the bond franchise. So Brosnan and Craig, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about there. A lot of good stuff to talk about, especially with Craig. I am super excited to talk about that. Um, so for the meantime, if you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll be back with you next time.